Today, I'm so excited to welcome Anna Gabriela Juarez to On the Rocks. Anna is an outstanding Guatemalan professional who's made a significant impact in the international mining sector in the field of environmental and social management. Her leadership and work in empowering women in mining and her educational initiatives in the Central American region have been recognized worldwide. In 2022, Anna was honored to be included among the top 100 most inspirational women in mining globally, making her the first Guatemalan and one of the first Central American women to receive this prestigious award. Additionally, she's become one of the first Central American women to serve on the board of directors of an internationally listed mining company on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Today, I'm particularly excited because we're chatting about Anna's new book, Anna's Adventures at the Mine, which you can buy on Amazon today for your favorite future miner or geologist. With that, pour a glass of your favorite Guatemalan rum or tea, and let's dive in. All right, well, welcome, Anna, to On the Rocks. Super excited to, to have you here today. And before we jump into it, what are you drinking today? Well, I am Guatemala, and I, we were talking about this before, so I wish I would have taken your advice and taken <laughs> some Guatemalan rum. But because I am in super cold Canada, mm. and it's super cold already, and we're just like starting November, I have a warm cup of tea because otherwise I don't feel my fingers. So I need something hot and warm um, to just keep me going here. I think if you just add the rum to the tea, maybe that's a good combination of both. Yeah, that would have been a good idea too. <laughs> well, in honor of, your, of, of Guatemala, I am drinking Ron Zacapa, um, Guatemalan rum, which I was, was just sharing like is the first rum that has converted me to drinking rum on the rocks uh, of a good friend of mine. Fernando said I had to try it because it was like very similar to bourbon in a lot of ways. And so I am, that's what I'm drinking today because I'm in sunny South Florida and why not? So yeah. So cheers. No, that's a great, great one to have. So cheers. Yeah. And Ron Zacapa, you know, if you want to sponsor on the rocks, we're, we're very open to any kind of deal. <laughs> so we, you brought up Guatemala. So I would love to have you tell us a little bit about your background and all the wonderful things that you're doing with mining and women in mining. But first, could you tell us about your book launch, um, which I'm super excited about? Yeah, no, thank you. Um, yeah, so it has been a, an adventure, not really Anna's adventures just at the mine, but also Anna's adventures getting this book out. <laughs> really, uh, it's my first book um, I self-published, so was uh, also a interesting process because everything I had to get, you know, from the person that did the drawings till, you know, getting a coach on board to help me think of everything that I had to have in place to be able to, you know, start this idea um, and to ensure that it had value, right? That at the end, that's what we wanted as well. Um, so I started really this idea of the book um, sometime ago already, but really I started writing like put it on a paper, like what the idea was and what I wanted to achieve with the book and all that. Uh, since May, I think one of the first things I got out was the name of the book. And I thought it might change because what the coach told me, like, you know, the book, don't, don't marry the, the title of the book. It will change. Yeah. But I think, no, I had such a clear idea what I really wanted to do that the idea of the name of the book didn't change. Um, and it has been super interesting. I mean, it was a lot, a lot, because we did it in May and we took, uh, it was published in September, oh, mid-September. 
so super fast, super fast. Yeah. Super fast. Um, well, what was an interesting a process? I met uh, the cartoonist that I ended hiring a Guatemalan cartoonist, yeah. uh, which she did an awesome job as well. I wanted a lot of the things in the book to represent really as well our culture, and mm-hmm. um, so you don't see it in the in the first pictures, but the other ones inside, Anna is an environmentalist because it's me, Anna. Yeah. Me. So it has a little leaf. I asked her to put little things that would, you know, say that I am Guatemala. Yeah. So we incorporated also my culture into the story, into the Anna, the personality of Anna. Um, so it was a lot of little details, but in the end was amazing. Um, we came out, I wrote it in Spanish because mm-hmm. that's my, well, my, my second language. I was raised in Germany as well. So I speak German first and then Spanish, but now I speak more Spanish than I do German. Uh, so I wrote it in Spanish. And as soon as we launched it, um, one of the organizations that was supporting us, that's the London group of companies, uh, for the launch of the book, um, said they would like to translate it into English because they had a lot of minds as well that speak English. And I thought, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So they immediately translated it for us. And I think we almost parallel um, published both books, the Spanish version and the English version. Um, a bit later, um, like not even a couple of days after I think I published that we were launching it, I got um, the Saudi Geological Survey yeah. interested in translating into Arabic. So we launched it right now, um, end of October, into Arabic. And um, we're doing a big event in Saudi for the FMF, yeah. for the launch of that, of that book in Arabic, and next year in January. And the other interesting thing is that there were so many Brazilians that came up saying, oh, we would love to see this book also in Portuguese. And so we got the, the mining chamber of Brazil. I, like I asked them if they would be interested in translating it for us. Mm-hmm. And they completely got into it. And like four or five days after, they had already a translated copy. Wow. So it was super quick. And we also launched it right now in October. Um, after we launched the Spanish version, because that's the first one really that we launched, um, we sold so many copies that I really didn't expect, um, because we just like, we were just starting to promote and everything was organically promoted, um, through LinkedIn. Yeah. And we got into 38 bestseller, Amazon bestseller list. So I was, you know, kind of shocked. (laughs) Um, but it's been an interesting experience. I mean... Um, you definitely see that there was a need for it. Mm-hmm. I had felt it in my region, but I see that it was, this is not something that our region was looking for, but that it was such a, such a big thing for everyone, right? We are seeing that we have less people getting into the industry, even thinking of mining as an industry to, to work in. Yeah. Um, we have all, like a lot of old people, I think uh, as well in our industry and barely new talent getting in. So I think there's so many aspects of it. And then of course the the gender piece as well, right? Yeah. Um, we have, we don't have enough women wanting to participate in the industry. So I think it, I tackled several areas that I think are on the, like on the red flags that we right now have as industry. And I think that's why it became so attractive for so many people. Well, I know for myself, like I've got an eight year old daughter and it's like one of my things that like she loves rocks. She and all of her friends, like they're at this age, they love to collect stones and 
when we go to like the the whole foods supermarkets here they sell like crystals you know in the aisle and they go straight for that i mean they love it and yet they don't focus on geology or or that kind of you know mining engineering at all in the curriculum and i had even had a few folks on linkedin say like for other geologists like there are what other geology books or mining related books are you guys getting for your kids you know and there's not much out there especially at this kind of age range right i mean so i think it it is it's phenomenal and it's such a great great piece could you tell us a little bit about the story like what is the actual story in the book yeah yeah so um the book really follows the story of anna which is you yeah. know um and it's also funny because the main character the second main character is my dog um, she's called joy awesome. so that's my real dog yeah. uh so she's in the story too and um I'm a very curious, curious girl. Like I'm, I'm, that's me really. So it's not really, a, not, I mean, I can relate. To, I mean, that's exactly it. I'm, I can read it and they say like, oh yeah, that's Anna. Um, and she goes into a journey really into the mining world, but it's really, um, um, a magic, magic world. Mm. And they discover really the complexities that there is in the industry. And the roles that also the women have in the industry and the importance of the environment and the social part. But everything is a tale. It's a tale. So everything is a story of magic. They enter and there's Anna's birthday. They go into play with their grandma's trunk. And the grandma's, the grandma in the story is Maureen Jensen, mm -hmm. um, the mining hall, of, the Canadian mining hall of famer. So she plays my grandma in the story. Um, so Anna is playing with her geology stuff. And because she's a geologist and suddenly they find a map and they enter into this mining world mm. by, you know, by magic. And while they're there, they're like, have to, you know, bond as, as a group of girls because she's with friends mm. and, um, go through this adventure and different challenges that they go. I am a really ha big Harry Potter fan. Uh, so I think some of them, yes, I got it from there too, because I really like that. Um, and I think putting that piece of magic in it um, makes it also interesting. So it, it is a magic tale, but at the same time, we do provide a lot of, of you know, technical technicalities of our industry. And we do talk a bit about the processes, but really without going deep into it, but just like highlighting, yeah. you know, the generalities of it. Uh, because we still wanted to keep it entertained and fun. Yeah. Um, so at the end, they get out of the challenge and of this adventure with more knowledge, with a uh, deeper friendship, knowing more um, of the industry. Um, and I, I think it's a, a, an empowerment book kind of too, right? That women, uh, sometimes we think just in the little things that we can be part of, but they open, it's open for them uh, opportunities. They talk about, you know, how women now drive bulldozers or whatever. So that's like the kind of things that they're learning through the book as well, that they can do whatever they want to be yeah, and still be part of the industry as well. Well, and so how did you pull in, uh, you know, you're, you're so involved with women in mining um, in various parts of the industry. Uh, what were some of the lessons that you pulled out of your work in that area and put into the story? I think in the story, I do talk about, you know, that, that historically, there's not many because there's a trauma as well where they're the boys that are picking on the girls mm -hmm. and you know um 
they have to, and one of the boys tells them like, look, you're in, mining is not for women, mm. you know, get out of here kind of thing, you know? Um, so I do put that in and, but at the end as well, we do show, um, I do show in the story that, you know, they're, they're the females, um, have so much and add so much value to the industry. Mm -hmm. And, um, but at the end, at the, it's like, um, the plot at the end is done like, um, like an encouragement between the girls, a bond that they form between the girls yeah, and that they can do it and that they can, they are, they're strong too. And then they can do it. Um, so it's, it's an interesting one because you try to put in the, the different areas that you want to talk about it without, you know, losing the tale and the history yeah. that you want to create and the magic of it. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, and what have you seen in your work with, with women in mining, like for, for listeners, you know, you've focused on this for, for years now. Um, are you seeing big changes in how things are evolving in the work that you're doing in that area? Um, so it's interesting. Yesterday was at an event um, uh, from us that like a, doc, like a report they did from Canada that you would think, you know, Canada is quite advanced in the mining space and, and maybe also the movement of uh, women. Um, but no. The, the trend is almost last. Yeah. You have 13, 13.5% here in Canada statistic. I think that was that they showed and it's been flat yeah. and it is some improvements, but barely. So the medium is 13.5 and it has not really changed, which is that, but then you compare it to other industries and you see they have a bit more, but their ten, the trend is also flat. Mm -hmm. There's not much improvement. Um, in Central America and the Caribbean, that's where I've been doing the work of women in mining um, with women in mining Central America, I do see that we have a lot of difference and discrepancies between the different mining companies. Mm. We have mining companies that are really in diapers and have percentages super, super low. Of maybe <laughs> Love that. They're, they're in diapers. <laughs> no, really. Like they're starting with this, you know, just trying to be um, bringing more women in board. And, you know, they, and they, people they have are almost everyone is on administrative roles, right? They're like the cleaning ladies or the secretaries and, you know, barely any technical people. So you can see that type of groups, but then you also have them. And that's one of the examples I reuse for our reach as well, that you have a uh, Barrick Dominican of Barrick Pueblo Viejo and in Republica Dominicana and Dominican Republic. And they have had a huge and impressive change. Mm. And I think in the last five years, they grew from having around 8% of women representation to have around 24% now. So that's a lot of change. That's a big change. They have around uh, six, more than 600 women now working in their company. So it's a big shift that they had to do. It came, of course, from the top, a really clear you know, direction. Uh, the top is female represents the okay. which is also awesome to see at uh, both of them, the GM and the president and general manager of the country, Nova Barrick, both are female and the, they had a clear path where they wanted to go and they knew what the steps they needed to take. Mm -hmm. So I think that you don't see that that often, even here in Canada. Yeah. No, I would, I would agree. I mean, it, there's a lot of talk, but I think that clear path and the steps is the big difference, right? Like uh, you can you hear other folks yeah. talk about those bigger, bigger vision targets, but 
getting into execution is is not so common. And we have big challenges in our region because if you think we have universities that don't have that we barely have geologists, mm. we don't have no mining engineers, we don't have um, a lot of these these disciplines that you would think that you know you need for a mining industry. We don't have them. We don't have universities that provide this education. So these mining companies had to do this super extra steps to be able to ensure that they're providing the education to be able to fulfill their roles right. too. And it's not just for women, but also for men. So to ensure that we have local people in the positions as well. So I think there's a lot of challenges that we as a region have to ensure that we have more female representation. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it's such a great point though, just to have sustainable local, you know, a local workforce that can take on, you know, roles throughout the organization. And I'm sure, you know, in some countries, it's easier to do that. And with some companies, it's easier to do that. But establishing a process, right? Do you work with the universities at all as well on that part? Like, is there a, a push to create mining engineering programs and stronger geology programs? So women in Mining Central America did subscribe an agreement with a Peruvian university called um, Heron. It's, it's um like post-secondary and they have been giving we have i'm not completely sure about the numbers right now but we have given out around 80 scholarships wow um uh, for central america and the caribbean for master degrees for post-secondary education regarding mine closures um like everything that has to do with mining they had quite a lot of options and they were super generous with supporting us with getting more not just women, but also men educated yeah. um, specifically about mining topics. So that was has been really, really great. Um, and that is one of the things. But right now, recently, for example, um, Barrick Dominican and did a, also a, an agreement with a university, I think, of Chile. And if I'm not mistaken, from the United States as well. And they established with a local university a master program, if I'm not mistaken, or an engineering program for a mining engineer. Um, so that's like the first little steps that we're taking in our region to move it forward. But it's a, it's a, has a lot of challenges too, because you're hoping that people are, are going to participate in this type of, also people that are not from the industry already, right? People that are younger and looking for options that they're thinking of, you know, might be cool to do mining engineering because this has potential in my country uh, for me to get a, a job yeah. in later, right? Well, and even, I mean, you started in the environmental space as well, right? I mean, so, I mean, how did you end up in mining when you started? Yeah, no, I'm, like you say, I'm, and I think that's the beauty of, of the industry too, right? You need so many people, and I think that's what part of what we wanted to showcase in the book as well, that there's so many people that work in the industry. You don't not need and like yourself, right? You don't need to necessarily be in the mining site right. to be part of the industry. Um, I am. I studied environmental science in Germany and um, specialized in environmental water management. And I did my master's in England. But um, I really joined the space because the, my family's company is an environmental consulting company. Mm -hmm. And when the company started in 2000, uh, the prices of the commodities were getting kind of back on track. 
um, they were starting to, they had some really interesting projects um, being explored in Guatemala. And um, I think we were open, we started the company just right in time when that boom started of mining in, in Guatemala. Mm-hmm. So we had at that time several interesting projects of nickel already um, in the side of the Caribbean. And it was called, um, you know, was from Valley, from Inco, oh. from the time of Inco, Valley Inco at that time. And um, then a bit later, um, Blamis entered as well with a project of gold that was purchased, it was changed after to Bulgur. Mm-hmm. And we had that project. So I started really when, when our company was, well, we was founded, but then at the same time, everything of mining was starting and we jumped right in into the industry. Um, so was like a kind of a coincidence maybe for yeah. us. Um, I, I remember I thought I would, I should study mineralogy and I thought, oh, what I'm going to do with a mineralogist title. I was not completely sure because we were so new in this space as well. Um, but yeah, it was kind of a destiny yeah. um, to work in the industry just because of what was happening in our country. And now our company has been working in 19 countries and in four continents. And we have now five offices wow. in the region of the Americas. So it's been because of the growth that you can also have due to the mining industry. And mm-hmm. um, most of our clients are from the mining industry. When I think it's, I'm sure for a lot of folks, when they think about mining, they might think of Peru and Chile, but they probably don't think about like Guatemala, right? I don't think people will think of Guatemala as a mining jurisdiction who aren't in the industry. You know, and so what a cool thing to be part of really that that big push. Um, and are you starting to see it as more of a recognized destination for folks from a mining perspective? It, no, it's hard. It's super hard. And it's part why I don't know the reasons uh, we work in Women in Mining Central America hard on the advocacy side, not just for advocating for the sector, but for people outside our country and region, seeing it as a destination. Mm-hmm. Sadly, the news that most of the time people hear from our region in mining are the bad yeah. news. We have had some big headliners. Um, I don't know if you have seen them recently, for example, from First Quantum in Panama, what's been yeah. happening. Um, from Guatemala, we had also the problem with, not a problem, but yeah, it's a problem. Um, with um, the, um, they stopped the project that's now of Pan American Silver mm-hmm. and called um, El Escobar. Mm-hmm. And that project would have been, you know, the second biggest mining um, silver mine in the world. So it's a huge project and a lot of potential. And it's just, they didn't do, you know, the government didn't do public uh, consultation because of indigenous. Mm -hmm. And well, that's what they're saying, right? (laughs) And so that project is stopped. So I think there is still a lot of things happening in our region. And then makes it hard. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you don't choose where the minerals are. And we have them. Yeah. You have to go, you have to go to where the rocks are, right? I mean, where the really good rocks are. Yeah. And there are, there are, I shouldn't say, I mean, I, I think I go back and forth. Some people say there are so few places on the earth that haven't been explored yet. But then, you know, then you talk about like a list of countries where you have stuff like this going on. And it's like, no, there's, there's plenty of, of jurisdictions that really haven't gotten the attention they deserve from a geologic perspective because of other concerns, right? I mean, 
yeah. geopolitical or, you know, legal and regulatory, whatever they may be. Yeah. No, I mean, it's definitely, it's been um definitely hard um, process. We have a big anti-mining movement as well. That's been an interesting one as well, because it's not local people. Mm. It's people coming from abroad yeah. um, that have another agenda. Like NGOs and nonprofits from other countries. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, and they're the ones pushing and doing the movement um, of the anti-mining movements. Um, so, you know, we have this third hand always in our mm-hmm. countries trying to mix our things and trying to leave us poor mm-hmm. instead of seeing it as an opportunity for growth for people to have uh, a decent life for them and their families. Yeah. I remember when the project in Panam- of Pan American closed in Guatemala, they had to fire so many people. And a lot of them, what has been happening in Central America, everyone tries to go up to North, right? And go as an Im- illegal immigrant. So it's insane to think that we're taking away opportunities for people and they have to go illegally somewhere to try to find a job when we could have provided it there yeah. locally. And these are high quality jobs too, right? I mean, I think that's especially the way we mine now. These are, you know, well-paying, safe, high-tech in a lot of cases, um, you know, jobs yes. for folks. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's uh, kind of, we say in Spanish, miope, right? A short-sighted yeah. view of what is real. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, what is happening and really thinking that there's no space to have biodiversity and mining you know, work together when you have seen such great examples around the world of how those mining sites then are amazing places they have developed for tourism. And, you know, so many things that you can think of. So I think it's just sad. But we're hoping that with what the work we're doing, we can change people's perspective and the narrative surrounding mining. And how how do you see if it is that kind of third voice that's coming in? How do you counter that? I mean, because of course you can you can work locally with local stakeholders, or, you know, get them to understand mining and all the risks, but also the benefits. And certainly you can talk to foreign companies coming in or foreign investment money coming in. But how do you handle that third angle? That must be. Um, I would think, and I, one of the reasons um, that I wrote the book is I'm hoping through education, if people are more educated. Um, about what really mining is about. They understand the importance of the industry. And also, it's funny because you have a lot of them anti-miners there running around, waving and talking with, you know, with the that they don't want mining and they have cell phones. They have, you know, so people really understanding that we need that to live the way we're living now. I think it's important. And that's part of the idea really of the book as well. And part of what a lot of the initiatives that we have we have an initiative with kids that is called the kids mineralogist mm-hmm. club so we have been working with around three thousand kids now uh bringing education of minerals and of of the importance of the mining industry mm-hmm. uh, but really from a mineral perspective yeah. you know what is this minerals and what they are used for um and trying to make it like a scouts you know minerals uh, like a scouts for for mining so it has been a, a great way to to educate because kids get educated, their family gets educated, you know, everyone surrounding them, they have shared the information they have learned with the schools and they bring posters. So it's, it's a great way to educate because 
but they're doing this mining NGOs is spreading lies and telling them, look, uh, they're going to do this and they're going to damage this. But if you, they have knowledge and are educated and know, no, this is what is really happening and this is how it's done. And this is, then they have, you have a voice out there as well that can, can contravest yeah. that, what they're saying, right? So we have several initiatives uh, that have to do with education, with also with, um, we did an agreement with several uh, museums to have specific areas in the museums of minerals and of mining. And then we're, uh, we're working directly with um, the guides of the museums and training them about the minerals, like something similar to what we do with the kids, but with the adults that are in the, in the museums. And it's great because they get like, what, 200,000 people a year in the museum. Yeah, that you can and if we have them, then, you know, we're, so it's not just us, but trying to get more people uh, into it, trying to make conversations, trying to unify as well, I think, our industry, a lot of our industry always tries to work by themselves. Yeah. And and I think if we get together and try to have a same voice, and I think then we can manage much more sharing best practices as well. We had right now last week, all the managers of all the mines in our region mm -hmm. come together and sharing best practices. Yeah. So I think that is also very important because it makes us stronger, learning from the mistakes from the others and or learning from they're great successes too. Yeah, I think that's such a great point because I know it's one of my uh, pet peeves or, or things that I would love to see the industry embrace more is speaking as one voice as the industry instead of, you know, especially bigger companies, like they focus a lot on their company and what they're doing, but they're really, and I know there are some organizations out there that say that they're doing this, but I just see it like in popular culture, right? Like, the oil and gas industry, agriculture industry, the tech industry, like they all have such a more visible presence in pop culture because they unify behind that presence, right? And they get messages out about what they're doing and their value to the world by collaborating on that. And I think it's, it's something that we really don't do well as an industry at all. And there's really so much in common, you know, that... <laughs> There's, there's plenty to still be competitive about, right? But there are a lot of messages that, that we can come behind as one team. Yeah, I think that's crucial for our industry. And we have, the other thing I think that we have made the mistake is always try to keep looking. Yeah. We want to always, okay, if they cannot see us, then it's better for us. Uh, so I think that is such a big mistake too, because... Um, that's exactly the reason why we get attacked and this mining NGOs brainwash everyone uh, instead of them knowing the truth since the beginning. Yeah. So I think that has been a problem that I see as well um, a lot. And I, I don't think it's just a central no, thing. It's like mining. Yeah, I think it's I think for a long time, companies got in order to get permits and approval the quieter you kept everything, the better, the more likely you were to have a project advance. And on the one hand, I think the world has just changed and you have to be much more proactive yeah. about communications. You can't just like, like you said, kind of sneak on by <laughs> it's through the process. Right. Um, but also I think it's this idea that you have to be able to proactively talk about what you're doing because if, if you don't get approved, 
right? If something gets shut down and then you start to try to communicate why what you're doing is important, I mean, yeah. you're you're behind by years, yeah. right? So people yeah. don't even know to miss us when we're when we're gone because they didn't even gone. begin yeah. with doing anything worth doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 100% agree. And I think the other mistake that we have done is, um, I mean, I remember I got once the comment, I'm not from the industry because I'm a service provider. Oh. Um, to, so I think, you know, that's industry, like another mining person. Yeah. 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 And I thought, you know, this is so wrong because we are all part of the chain. And I remember one of the companies, when they did need our help, they did say, oh, you know, mining providers, you need to raise your voice up for us too. Yeah. But you have to treat us as part of the industry if you want that, you know? And, uh, right now, for example, that I'm seeing what is unfolding in, in Panama, they have 7,000 employees, but they have, I think, uh, indirectly, they hire around 40,000 people more for a service provider directly at the mine. So if you see, so we're such like it's such an important piece and element. Yeah. And if you think of all the companies that are needed to support the, the company, um, you cannot not take them into account. You need to take them as part of your stakeholders and try to involve them since the beginning in understanding what you're doing. And even if it's a cleaning service, they're still part of you too. Right. Understand they can be the part of your advocate as well. So I think that is part of what we have not been doing right um, in our industry as well. No, I, I think that's so spot on because I certainly see it in what we do at Prospector. You know, we deal with mining company data like all day, every day. And uh, it sometimes is hard to get companies to even talk to you about what you're doing because there is this very corporate mindset, I think, right? Where it's, we handle everything in-house when you're spot on. Like mining companies to grow and scale and do new technology and innovative ideas, they can't do it all. And it's better to work with service providers and other types of companies so that you can get further faster, right? That's the other part is you can move a lot faster by by working with groups that are kind of outside of your corporation, um, especially in things like on the environmental side and, you know, local relationships and all of that. If you're new to a country, I mean, the local service providers are going to be, should be your best friend because they're already there doing the work and know everybody. Yeah, so I think there's a lot of room of improvement. And like I said, it's not just Central America and the Caribbean where I think it's an issue. I think it's a wider issue. But I've been trying to tackle it directly in our region because we have had so so many, you know, things that have been happening. It's like you're, you're trying to, um, you know, you have new fires almost every day of something happening in one of our countries and you feel it's never ending. Uh, so it's, it's been hard been a, a hard process and when you're there locally too I remember um I used to say I'm an environmental consultant for the mining industry if you're not in a mining space you have to duck you almost feel like someone is going to throw a rock at yeah. you so it's it's hard it's hard it's working for the industry and I think that's where we need to change the perspective perception people have about the industry so badly we really need it because otherwise our projects are going to die off because they're going to you know, the anti-movement, anti-mining movement is going to win. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I think it's such a great point. And do you see, I mean, of course, all of the countries in Central America and the Caribbean are so, so different, right? In in so many different ways. 
do you see progress in one area more than another, like with different countries? Or is it as a is it consistent as a region? I guess I should ask that first. Is it consistent across the region or are you seeing challenges in some areas and advancements in others? I mean, historically, we were one country. We were we split apart. And if you see our flags, they're almost the same, too. Now we celebrate Independence Day the same day. So we are very similar. Many things speak the same language. We have certain difference. But for example, if you think of Central America, we are uh, biodiversity. Our biodiversity is very similar. We are a quarter for our different species. Yeah. So several of the things that we face are very, very similar. Mm. Um, I think maybe in certain countries, things are a bit different. Just uh, if you think about Panama and the Panama Canal and maybe the influence the United States had on them, I think maybe there might be some difference there, um, including that people are in a bit more than in a other of the countries um but i think historically we have a lot of similarities okay and i think where the mining industry specifically um i think there are differences honduras has a longer history of mining they have a mine for example that has been operating i think for almost 100 years and the dominican has also for example several mines that are a bit older that i think the mine of Domini of Barrick Pueblo Viejo is from the 60s or 70s or something around there. So it's also a bit older. That was owned by the government before as well. Mm -hmm. And they messed it up and <laughs> had to find someone to come in, you know, yeah. um, do it properly. Um, Panama on the other side has this mine. This is the first mine they developed. And um, I think it started operating in 2018 or 2017, something around there. So it's still quite new. Mm. Um so I think because of that, there's a bit differences of how people perceive um, the industry. And um, but I would think that in general, we are um, agricultural kind of countries instead of mining countries as much. Although Pan Barrick Dominican Barrick and sorry in Dominica Republic, I think the the biggest exporter of the country is mining. Wow. Okay. I think it's around 72% of exportations are mining exportation. Wow. That's huge. Yeah. That's huge. Um, so I think there's some var variations, but I think the challenges are very similar. Okay. Well, that's really interesting. I didn't realize that it would be that similar across the whole region. So that's, and do you, so do you see a lot of companies then working across the region in multiple countries because of the, no, you know, no, we have um, we have different companies in each of the region. Um, we have, um, like I said, Pan American Silver in Guatemala. We have um, some uh, Eastern European as well uh, doing some nickel work in Guatemala. We have Blondin Group of companies as well with a project in Guatemala. We have on Honduras our minerals. Um, we have, for example, also in Nicaragua, Calibre Mining. I think that's uh, I think the biggest one there. Also, Baco Mining. I think you met. Um, the CEO last time um, we have in Costa Rica I think there's some mining but it's um, underground mining and not much and mainly they're English in Panama first quantum and Dominican we have Falcondo that's now owned by I think uh, Swiss um, Vix mm. and uh, Cormidom that's I think mostly Chinese and Barrick that's Canadian so you don't see that they are all over our countries but different big companies are in the region very cool well, I've been asking Anna like at the end of every episode, and I you could go a whole bunch of different directions with your background on this, but if you could 
wave a magic wand and change one thing about the mining industry, what would you change? You look like you have a whole list. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I don't even know where to start with that question. Let's say it like that. (laughs) Like you say, I think I have a, like last time they asked me also, um, what would be the changes if you would be a ministry and, and like a minister of, and I had so many <laughs> answers to that one too. Uh, it's a hard question. I'm not completely sure. I think the magic one needs to be super powerful to do all the things that I want them to do. Um, but I think I would love um, the mining companies to be more open mm. and um, try to hide less. Mm. Um, there's still places where you feel that like they ask you not to come dressed like, you know, with looking like a miner yeah. because they're worried that people would see that you're going into the, like to the mine. Um, so I think that is, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but it does. Yeah. Uh, so I think if I would change something, it would be that, that people don't feel afraid of being part of the industry, but they feel proud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a great one. And I, I agree. Thank you so much. And I will put in, uh, we'll have in our, our intro and on the episode, everybody, if you're listening, you can go in and look at that and we'll have a link for where you can order Anna's adventures in the mine. Um, so really look forward to watching this. And I mean, it's just been huge, the growth with the book and everything over the last few months. It, it has been so cool to see you post like every month, like new languages available, you know, and stuff. So Congratulations again on everything that you're working on and look forward to having you back sometime soon. Thank you for having me, Emily. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much.